This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. It's a very difficult thing because we know um, that people need uh, to speak up against racism. Concern about large gatherings during the COVID crisis and who Dr. Bonnie says is most at risk. Failing finances for local landlords. We feel that our sector should be exempt uh, from the uh, state of emergency. Their argument for relaxing the rules, preventing evictions. And the danger from drones. How one hit an RCMP helicopter in a case with a strange twist. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophia's off tonight. We'll start with a very promising look again at the COVID-19 numbers in our province tonight. Provincial health officials took a well-deserved weekend off. And that means we have several days of data. And here's a look at where we're at right now. We have 30 new infections over the past three days, which means total cases number 2,659. We've had zero deaths over that same time period. But Keith Baldry reports on the fear of a potential spike sooner rather than later and a new exemption to the border shutdown. Remember that when you hit the open roads this summer, you aren't leaving COVID-19 behind. With summer looming and thoughts of travel replacing the gloom of the pandemic, Dr. Bonnie Henry today thought it was time to provide some travel advice for later this month. We need to, before we go, contact the local tourism association or the Chamber of Commerce and find out what services are available and what may still be closed. And we need to remember that the precautions that we take at home should also be taken when we travel. Talk of being able to travel soon comes as BC's numbers continue to decline in all the important areas, particularly hospitalizations and critical care. And it also comes amid Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's comments today that some families on either side of the border may be able to reunite soon. But BC's health minister again warned about the risks of traveling back and forth to the U.S. The states closest to us, the states uh, where people are most likely to visit from here, states with which, such as Arizona, with which British Columbians often have a strong connection, are all seeing significant uh, increases. Meanwhile, the Prime Minister also faced questions today about his participation at a Black Lives Matter demonstration last week. Such mass gatherings are against public health guidelines. It is important that we uh, follow public health advice uh, throughout, even as we uh, protest and demonstrate in order to create a better world. But Dr. Bonnie Henry says it's critical for those who attend protest rallies to take steps to ensure the virus does not spread, as it is doing in Fraser Health right now because of a family gathering earlier there. You can have a, a profound impact by having many small groups, um, by wearing masks, by, by maintaining those physical distances. You know, we do not want to have outbreaks seeded because of these very important ways of having our voices heard. Keith Baldry joins us now live with more on the concerns surrounding the border. And Keith, obviously mm -hmm. health officials are taking a very close look at the comparison between what's going on in Washington state and what's happening here in B.C. 
Yeah, I've been tracking the Washington state numbers for some time now. There's been a big spike in uh, a number of states. 22 states are now having their COVID numbers go up significantly since they took reopening measures. Keep in mind, in the last four days, BC's had 30 cases and one death. Take a look at the numbers in Washington. Friday, there were 264 new cases there. 11 people died. On Saturday, 449 new cases with four deaths. Sunday, 287 and six deaths. And today, the number just in, 312 new cases and two deaths. That is 23 people who have died in just four days, more than 1,300 people testing positive. They are doing more tests down there, but they're also coming back with a, almost a 6% positive test rate compared to just barely less than 2% in B.C. So it's, again, Washington State is not alone. You heard Adrian Dix talk about other states. Arizona is ballooning in their numbers. Uh, so we now have very low numbers compared to most of North America, but the United States is now uh, trending upwards, which is one big reason we're not going to be traveling there for a long time. Lots of work to do down there, for mm -hmm. sure, it sounds like. Thank you, Keith. A new battle is brewing tonight over the provincial government's decision to ban rent increases and evictions during the COVID-19 pandemic. Tenants' rights groups want the bans extended until the pandemic is over. But landlords say that's unsustainable and it will hurt both landlords and tenants in the long run. Richard Zussman reports. It's been in place for months. Now the head of landlord BC wants the province to lift the ban on residential evictions. If the state of emergency is going to continue, we feel that our sector should be exempt uh, from the uh, state of emergency. The government putting the ban in place in March in order to protect people from having to move in the midst of a pandemic due to lost wages caused by the crisis. But landlords are increasingly concerned renters are not paying rent even if they can afford it. We're not in a position to go to the residential tenancy branch and uh, really uh, you know, address the issue of unpaid rent. Landlord BC says in April and May, 10% of people skipped their rent payments, while a significant amount paid less than 50%. Organizations representing renters say lifting the ban now would be a huge mistake, and the moratorium should remain. If the eviction ban was lifted, uh, we're going to be in a situation where tens of thousands of uh, renters could potentially be facing eviction and have no financial safety net. Housing Minister Selena Robinson unavailable for an interview on Monday. In a statement, Robinson says the moratorium will not be lifted yet, but has always been seen as temporary. The province still working on putting in measures to support renters who owe arrears, especially when that decision is made to lift the eviction moratorium. We think the correct way to address this problem is first for government to uh, instigate a, or to put in place a process that will forgive rent arrears. The province says people that can pay rent should continue to do so. Rent support announced by the government expires at the end of June, and there will be an announcement at some point over the next few weeks on whether the financial support and the eviction ban will continue long term. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. As more businesses and services reopen, there's a growing chorus of lawyers warning the restart plan for the provincial court system is going way too slowly. They say the delay is putting hundreds of cases in jeopardy. Ramina Dea reports. The doors are open, but inside the halls of justice, silence. Is it quiet in there? Very. Very. Criminal, family and small claims cases backlogged. The situation worst in provincial court, says this criminal defense lawyer. 
it would easily be in the tens of thousands of cases that have been delayed in terms of having their hearings and their trials since the courts essentially shut down uh, around March the 16th or the 17th. Defence lawyers say the pandemic is not an excuse for unreasonable delays. They say there's a threat serious cases could be thrown out if they're not heard in a timely manner. 18 months for provincial court, 30 months for Supreme. This is based on guidelines set by the Supreme Court of Canada in the Jordan ruling. There's absolutely going to be arguments brought in many cases for the cases to be stayed, judicially stayed, because of a breach of someone's right to have a trial within a reasonable time. Uh, first goal has been triage. Essentially, uh, you know, we've got to stop the bleeding. BC's Attorney General acknowledges there's a serious backlog, which is being dealt with via online hearings. 40 provincial courtrooms and 50 Supreme now open across the province, says David Eby. Certainly a lot of concern about a Supreme Court of Canada case called Jordan that said that we have to have criminal cases heard within certain timelines, and if not, then the cases can be thrown out. I feel very comfortable that we're taking the steps necessary to get courts open, and, and many court and provincial government staff taking heroic measures to make that happen. The Attorney General says he's not aware of any charges being stayed because of the pandemic. Lawyers say the crisis could delay cases for years. Romina Dea, Global News. New Westminster police confirm a man missing since last week is another one who walked away from Royal Columbian Hospital. Sean Johnson is the third person to walk away from RCH in recent weeks. Police say the 37-year-old Richmond resident was last seen in the 200 block of Sherbrooke Street after leaving the hospital last Thursday. Johnson was wearing pink pajamas and is in need of medication. In late May, a brain-injured Gavin Deloise walked out of Royal Columbian and was found dead days later. And in April, Nicholas Turnbull, who also has a brain injury from a car crash, walked out of RCH. He was found by Good Samaritans wandering around four kilometers away. Still more questions than answers this afternoon in the disappearance of a small plane with two people on board that might have gone down in the Fraser River in Maple Ridge. As Grace Key reports, there appears to have been no official search today, and police are saying very little about the case. The brother of a missing pilot took it upon himself to continue a desperate search, hiring a water taxi to comb the area along Stave River near Maple Ridge, while an RCMP helicopter searched from above. The conditions that we're facing right now are extremely difficult due to the fact that there's a lot of runoff, so the river is moving quickly, and, uh, you know, today was a lot of rain and torrential downpour. Two people on board a plane connected with International Flight Centre in Boundary Bay were overdue on Saturday. That same day, a witness reported seeing a plane go into the Fraser River near 287th Street and Lougheed Highway. Police say both planes are similar in description. At this point, we're not making any comment on, on the possible occupants because we want to ensure that the plane that we possibly suspect it is, is actually the plane. So until we locate evidence to support that, we're not making any comments on possible occupants. After an extensive search, there's been no sign of a missing plane. There were also no distress calls and no reports of planes in the area at the time. The search will continue. Specialized sonar equipment is going to be brought in to assist, but obviously this is going to be weather dependent due to the fact that, you know, today we had torrential downpours and with the river runoff, it's really difficult conditions to be working with at this time. Until then, family members continue in their search for their loved ones. Grace Key, Global News.
Earlier this year, northwestern B.C. was the scene of the first reported mid-air collision involving an RCMP helicopter and a drone. It happened as an injunction was enforced to clear protesters from a pipeline construction site. And in a bizarre twist, the drone was also RCMP property. Ted Chernecki reports. It was February 6th this year. For most everywhere else, an unremarkable date. But not southwest of Houston, for two reasons. One, it's the day the RCMP ordered a controversial exclusion zone during the gas pipeline protests. And two, it was the day an RCMP helicopter with three people on board collided with a drone, an RCMP drone. Also operating in the area were two RCMP remote pilot air systems, RPAS, better known as drones. During low-level flight below 300 feet, the helicopter and one of the RPAS units collided. The helicopter suffered uh, some initial vibration and the pilot completed a precautionary landing on a nearby road without further incident. This wasn't just any consumer-type drone, but a $150,000 Fleur Skyranger R60. It was destroyed. Two days later, our cameras happened to catch a shot of the helicopter still sitting along the side of the road. We didn't know it at the time that it was unflyable, and the RCMP wasn't volunteering that information. In fact, at great expense, they called in a large Puma helicopter from Alberta to airlift the damaged chopper out. Our investigation was limited because it was all very specific to the RCMP and it was around a policing operation um, to protect, I guess, um, their operation and the techniques they use. We uh, just didn't want to get involved in that. The only other mid-air collision in Canada that's been investigated by the TSB is when on October 12, 2017, a consumer drone hit a twin-engine aircraft at 2,000 feet above Quebec City with no damage to the fixed-wing aircraft. In a statement from headquarters, the RCMP says since the collision, it's enhanced safety checks. The drones and helicopters aren't fly at the same time, but if they do, the drones stay below 300 feet and the helicopter above 500. Ottawa could not give us a total cost to taxpayer by our deadline. Ted Chernacki, Global News. Another day of unrest as protesters call for an end to police brutality. In the wake of George Floyd's death and many others, a call for police reform. And here in Canada, where the Prime Minister stands on the use of body cameras. Those stories in just over a minute. The eerie sound emanating from the iconic Golden Gate Bridge and what's causing it coming up on the news hour. Also tonight, straight out of Compton, why Lions GM Ed Hervey says the fight against racism hasn't achieved much since he lived through the LA riots. A conversation with him a little later. Right now, though, the Vancouver Island community of Tofino has joined the movement for change with a protest late this afternoon against police use of force. Today's demonstration focusing on both George Floyd and 26-year-old Chantel Moore, the B.C. First Nations woman who was shot and killed by a police officer in Edmonston, New Brunswick, after he was sent to check on her well-being. During today's protest, the demonstrators both taking a knee and lying face down on the ground. A drum ceremony sounded a somber greeting to family members of Chantel Moore as they arrived in New Brunswick today to meet with officials after Moore was shot last week. Global Silas Brown has more. Traveling from British Columbia, relatives were granted exemptions to enter the province, which has closed its borders to non-essential travel due to the pandemic. 
Lieutenant Governor Brendan Murphy and New Brunswick's Aboriginal Affairs Minister Jake Stewart were on hand to greet the family. When asked about Moore's death, Stewart refused to comment on the investigation. I don't have details on the investigation, so I'm not really, I couldn't really comment on the specifics because I really just don't know those details. But my job here is to support the Aboriginal peoples of New Brunswick and in particular uh, Chantel Moore's family. Moore was shot by Edmondson police on Thursday during a wellness check. Indigenous leaders in British Columbia and New Brunswick have called for a full public inquiry to find out what happened. Chief Alan Polchese, one of the six Willistiquay chiefs in New Brunswick, says it's essential that Indigenous leaders be part of the investigation into Moore's death. We need to have Indigenous voices when inquiries are done in order to make sure that it is a fair process for everyone here in our territory. Quebec's police watchdog, the Bureau of Independent Investigations, is currently leading the investigation. Meanwhile, a march in Moore's honour is being planned for Saturday in the Edmonston area. Silas Brown, Global News, Fredericton. Justin Trudeau is planning to push provincial premiers to equip police with body-worn cameras. The Prime Minister says the move is a rapid, substantive solution to allegations of racism and brutality. The cameras document police officers' interactions with the public, and Trudeau says they're a simple way to address complaints that Canadian police treat people of colour unfairly. The PM says fixing centuries of racial injustice won't happen overnight, but recent protests have shown him that more needs to be done now. The challenges that I've heard are more logistical and economic uh, concerns about uh, remote areas and, uh, and the way those cameras would work. Uh, but yes, it is something that is, uh, in, my, uh, in my opinion, uh, what we need to move forward with. Trudeau says he has raised the issue with the RCMP commissioner and will pursue it with the premiers later this week. Two online petitions calling for Vancouver Police and BCRCMP to wear body cameras have generated more than 25,000 signatures. Still no sign tonight that the protests across the U.S. are letting up, with hundreds of thousands taking to the streets today. Most of the demonstrations have been peaceful, but not all of them. In cities big and small, crowds are surging to record numbers. 50,000 at this march alone. The largest so far in a single day, says the LAPD. The call for police reform, backed by a tidal wave of momentum and a sea of demonstrators flooding the streets every day. I will be protesting until we don't, we don't need to protest anymore. The fight for police accountability not just unfolding in big cities like Washington. From Billings to Green Bay to Des Moines, protests swelling, showing no signs of slowing after nearly two weeks. The mayor of Austin joining this crowd in Texas. I think people that look like me need to spend a little bit more time listening. As the nation focuses on police tactics, in Fairfax, Virginia, officers charged one of their own with assault and battery after this arrest Friday. The chief said this tasing and head blow of a man disorderly in the streets was an excessive use of force. Unacceptable. I'm just disgusted. It comes amid calls for a Missouri police officer behind the wheel of this unmarked SUV to be fired after striking a man who appeared to be running away. The clash between officers and demonstrators continues to unfold in some violent confrontations. 
In Seattle, police say a man appeared to intentionally drive his car into a crowd, later pulling a gun and shooting a protester as tensions reached a boiling point. But for the most part, protests nationwide are peaceful. In cities like Los Angeles, the National Guard is pulling out as curfews are lifted. Tonight on the streets of our nation, another call for action in a history-making movement. Miguel Almaguer, NBC News, Los Angeles. Up ahead, a rough voyage when COVID canceled their cruise. We were talking about it constantly and looking forward to it. How Consumer Matters found some calm waters for a couple who got their money back. Also tonight, why you better pack a mask if you're sailing on BC ferries. Two lanes north and one lane south over here at the Lionsgate Bridge. So just seeing a bit of congestion out of north and west Vancouver on the Cloverleaf. Bank securely from anywhere, anytime with CIBC. Whether it's paying bills, depositing checks, or transferring money in Canada and around the world. With CIBC, you can do it all 24-7. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above the Lionsgate Bridge. BC Ferries is asking all passengers to bring a mask for some sailing starting next week. Keeping with directions from Transport Canada, BC Ferries is asking passengers to at least bring face coverings for all sailings that are 30 minutes or longer. Wearing it isn't mandatory unless physical distancing rules can't be followed. Passengers who don't pack a mask will be denied boarding. BC Ferries has started to increase service levels on some of the routes that were reduced when the pandemic began. All right, a B.C. senior with underlying health conditions says he was desperate to cancel a scheduled cruise to the Middle East when news of the coronavirus broke. While he admits he canceled the cruise on his own, only to receive a promised credit, he was shocked to discover just days later the same voyage was officially canceled by the cruise line, which gave other guests the choice of a full refund or credit. We'll bring in our Consumer Matters reporter, Andrew, and now, and it sounds like this customer is the victim of some bad timing. Yeah, it certainly does. Thanks for that, Chris. When Jerry Smith approached the cruise company to get a refund, hoping they would have a change of heart, he was basically told he was out of luck because he had canceled the cruise on his own. Left with a credit he says he'll never use, he turned to Consumer Matters for help. For Jerry Smith and his wife Lily, it was supposed to be a cruise of a lifetime. Back in November, they booked an Azamara cruise to the Middle East, a 17-day voyage scheduled to depart on March 28th from Dubai with a final stop in Greece. We were talking about it constantly and looking forward to it. But as the trip approached, cases of COVID-19 surfaced around the globe, a great concern for Jerry. At 71, he is a pancreatic cancer survivor and has other underlying health issues, including diabetes. I, I, I felt that it would be a fool's journey to go. In January, Jerry says he tried to cancel the cruise. But on March 10th, Azamara sent out an email to cruise guests stating it was closely monitoring the pandemic and to expect an update on March 16th. The cruise line also informing guests about its new cruise with confidence cancellation policy, meaning all guests currently booked on sailings on or before July 31st, 2020 could now cancel their reservation up to 48 hours prior to departure and receive a 100% future cruise credit valid through December 31st, 2021. Jerry says he decided to cancel the cruise. So March 11th, you canceled the cruise. Yeah. 
and then you got your credit. And agreed to future cruise credits. Okay. Then just two days later on March 13th, Azamara sent another email stating to guests the United Arab Emirates was closing its ports to all cruise ships and the upcoming voyage was cancelled. As compensation, all booked guests would now have the option to receive a full refund or receive a 125% future cruise credit. But when Jerry phoned to request a full refund on his cruise, he was denied. That's for passengers on the ship when the cruise cancels and you canceled yourself two days ago. Jerry was out over $9,700 and left with a cruise credit he says he'll likely never use. He turned to Consumer Matters for help. I was getting nowhere by myself. We reached out to Royal Caribbean Cruises, the parent company of Azamara, on Jerry's behalf, asking if the company would reconsider Jerry's case. While our email was acknowledged, the company did not respond further. But days after our inquiry, Jerry says he received a full refund. A future cruise credit is of no use to me. Uh, I'm not going to go on those. And, and the fact that you got me a cash refund in place of a future cruise credit it's just outstanding. And we did reach out to Royal Caribbean Cruises again, asking why the cruise line reversed its decision, but we never received a response. And if you have a consumer issue for me, there's my email address at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. Nice outcome. Thanks very much, Ann. Up next, why there is nothing funny about racism. On the first day, I was told that I was only there uh, to fill a diversity spot. Theater Sports promises to do better after allegations of discrimination. Also tonight, a BC cancer patient fighting for legal access to magic mushrooms. Traffic is in good shape over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge this evening. Do keep in mind, though, that overnight maintenance causes lane closures between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. Bank securely from anywhere, anytime with CIBC, whether it's paying bills, depositing checks, or transferring money in Canada and around the world. With CIBC, you can do it all 24-7. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. One of Vancouver's most popular and successful entertainment institutions, Theatre Sports, is reeling from allegations of racism and misogyny. And as Aaron MacArthur reports, one of the company's most famous alumni is also speaking up about the controversy. Reginald, that's your marijuana plan. It's an institution. For three decades, crowds have been entertained by improv comedy at Vancouver Theatre Sports League. Now performers are speaking up, accusing the company of racism and misogyny. I'd say on the first day I was told that I was only there uh, to fill a diversity spot. Ashley Farrell went public after Theatre Sports posted the black square on its social media feed, symbolizing support for Black Lives Matter. Like, racism isn't about putting on a hood and burning crosses. It's about using those tools of oppression to pull yourself up. Mm -hmm. So I don't think these people hate us. No. I think they just want to make sure that we never have to compete with them. Other actors have stepped forward too. Tunji Taylor-Lewis says the main stage at Theatre Sports overwhelmingly made up of white men. I counted it out and I'm pretty sure the numbers are it's 32 white people on the main stage, um, three people of color, it's zero women of color and zero black people. Vancouver Theatre Sports responded to the allegations with a statement admitting it needs to be more inclusive, writing, we apologize for any hurt this has caused in our community. We have spent time in the past on action plans to address this 
it is eminently clear we need to move forward with some urgency. I cannot tell you how important this place has been to me. Colin Mockery, Vancouver Theatre Sports' most famous alumni, has issued a statement on Instagram, pointing out his own role in the systematic discrimination and has now called out his former troop. Obviously, changes need to be made. They're very good at saying, we're going to do something, and then they push you out and sweep it under the rug. While Theatre Sports is promising action, Farrell says a great place to start would be to take down the visible minority cast members whose pictures are still used on the company's website. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. An Abbotsford woman battling cancer is also fighting for access to psilocybin as a therapeutic treatment. Psilocybin is the active chemical in magic mushrooms and there is a small but growing body of research of its therapeutic effectiveness for those facing a terminal diagnosis. Brad McLeod reports. You, I think about our kids who are all young adults. Will I be able to see them get married? Realities of a terminal diagnosis. Two years ago, Lori left a career in banking to start anew as a nurse, but a colorectal cancer diagnosis dashed that dream. Major surgeries, chemo, and radiation would follow, but the cancer came back. Told if she didn't undergo another life-altering surgery, she would die. My only hope of living was to have the surgery, so I decided to go ahead with it. A lot of fear together, and and uh, and we've been fortunate enough to be able to to get some help. Help in the form of psilocybin, the psychoactive ingredient in magic mushrooms. It changed absolutely everything for me. Anxiety and depression compartmentalized, but psilocybin is illegal. If we have the right to die, how is it that we don't yet have acknowledged the right to try? This psychotherapist has asked the federal government to make psilocybin available to those at end of life saying the science so far is promising, but after years of waiting for the Fed's response, his request was recently denied. Right now, treatments using magic mushrooms are being performed in the shadows. Tobin acknowledges that could create potentially dangerous situations, but if allowed by the government, they could standardize the practice like dosing by patient weight and mandating several hours of therapy. While they don't regret a thing, they say it's not something they want to do again. I kept being hit by these big waves, and, and it was painful. The pair have also contacted the federal health minister, and Tobin is considering a legal suit to fight for the rights of those who have exhausted all other means of anxiety relief. And I don't worry too much about it. Some days I don't even think about it, which has been a great gift. Brad McLeod, Global News. Up ahead, the B.C. Lions leader who raged against racism 30 years ago. We're talking about a culture that needs to change. Lions GM Ed Hervey grew up in Compton. What he says about the L.A. riots and how America can finally reconcile its racist past. But first, the one-of-its-kind animal marine mammal rescue center clinging to life during the COVID crisis. BC's Marine Mammal Rescue Centre, the largest of its kind in Canada, is facing an unprecedented drop in funding because of the COVID crisis. And now, as Linda Aylesworth reports, it's offering the public a unique opportunity to help prevent it from closing its doors. 
What a difference a pandemic makes. This time last year, the Marine Mammal Rescue Centre on Vancouver's waterfront was bustling with activity. It's very quiet right now. Uh, usually this time of year we would be ramping up, uh, getting our volunteers trained, getting the place ready to go uh, for the seal pupping season. Pupping season, which is about to begin, is their busiest time of year. Over 100 harbour seal pups come here each year, many in critical condition. All the animals that come here are, are here because of something that's happened to their environment, because of us. So it's a second chance for these guys. But when the pandemic hit a few months ago, the rescue centre, which is associated with the Vancouver Aquarium, had to close due to lack of funding. The Vancouver Aquarium is closed right now, and without the gate revenue and the selling of the Save Our Seals stickers, uh, we've lost a huge portion of our revenue here at the centre. Fortunately, it came at a slow time of year. But with Harbour Seal pups on the way, that's already starting to change. But when do you hope to open then? Uh, three weeks ago. $350,000 are needed to reopen, and so they've been fundraising. A lot of that we've already raised, but we've got a shortfall of about $125,000. That is why the Save Our Seals campaign was created. For $35, you can virtually adopt a harbour seal pup, and for $1,000, you can name it. They have until June 21st to reach their target. <laughs> The Oceanwise Marine Mammal Rescue Centre is the largest of its kind in Canada. When not rehabilitating seal pups, it's coming to the rescue of any number of marine creatures in distress. And so not reaching their goal is unthinkable. It's absolutely heartbreaking for those of us that have dedicated our lives to helping these animals, giving these valuable animals a second chance to have to say no right now. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. One of the world's most famous bridges is making news for making noise. Why San Francisco's Golden Gate Bridge sounds like it's haunted. Coming up right after Christie's weather forecast under the ominous skies of North Vancouver. Thankfully, we've seen some sunshine today, Chris, but you're right, there's been some dark clouds here and there sort of threatening skies, that's for sure. So I actually have some images, one from North Vancouver. Thank you to Greg Morton for sending me this one. And you can see um, the sunshine on the trees ahead, but then that dark sky in behind. And one more from the Fannie Bay area. Thank you to Elaine for sharing that one with us. So um, we had a few thunderstorms earlier today in the lower mainland. Bulk of them were in the interior, but quite a few lightning strikes through the afternoon hours. Things are subsiding now. And now what's on deck is a system that's going to push on to the uh, south coast. All coastal regions actually will feel the effects of that, especially tomorrow morning. It shifts further inland by the afternoon, but it's more like showers at that point, but continuing across the south coast region. So a wet Tuesday for you, that's for sure, and much cooler. Temperatures well below seasonal, and we're expecting windy conditions also. So outer coast up to 70 kilometers an hour, inner coast 40 to 60 if you're traveling with BC Ferries, it may be a good idea to check with them before you head out just in case there's any delays. But yes, wet along the coast, inland regions, just a few showers. We will see conditions cool, as I mentioned, tomorrow. Highs of only 14 or 15 degrees. That's well below seasonal. We'll warm up, though, on Wednesday. Just a chance of showers, and I'm keeping my fingers crossed for some breaks of blue sky. And I'll leave you with your central windows weather window, which is also another stormy sky. But always, as we do get with stormy skies, a little bit of a rainbow off in the distance there. Okay, Chris, back to you. Can't get the rainbow without the rain, right? Thanks very much, Christy.
All right, back to San Francisco's Golden Gate Bridge. It's already known around the world for how beautiful it looks. Now, it's making sounds. Wow. The bridge started making a ghostly humming and howling sound. Turns out it's nothing paranormal. The moans are coming from wind that's blowing through the new railings that were recently installed along the sidewalks. At times, the noise can be heard from several kilometers away. Eerie. All right, Squire is standing by, I think, right now. We'll look ahead at what's coming up on uh, sports. Squire. That sounds nice like the to, start to get of the Yanni and see, see guys, even though they might not be on your team. Well, Chris Tanev. Troy Stetcher and a few other NHL players are gathering, getting ready for perhaps training camp in July. Sounds good. Also tonight, the brutal truth from Lions GM Ed Hervey and the chance of real change from the Black Lives Matter movement. When it comes to missing hockey, turns out misery loves company, and some of the players are getting together, it sounds like, Squire. It's actually happening all around the hockey world. Mm -hmm. In town, there are a few players from the NHL living here, and they are getting together and working out in small groups in anticipation of the official training camp, which they hope will start sometime in July, and then after that would be the 24-team Stanley Cup tournament. And two of the players that have been working out locally our Canucks, Troy Stetcher and Chris Tanev. Super excited to be out there. I mean, obviously, for the better part of two months, we, we couldn't skate in, in BC here. But, I mean, the ranks have opened uh, the last couple of weeks, so it's nice to, to get out and, and see, see guys, even though they might not be on your team, just, just be around guys and skate and, and have fun out there. And the hope is NHL players continue to stay on the ice right up until the Stanley Cup is handed out later this fall. NHLers back on the ice as the league's stage two phase of its return to play plan officially began Monday. It's, it's crazy that it's been three months. It's almost been like a, a full off season now. So I think guys are, are excited and chomping at the bit to, to get back. And, and like I said, we're just hoping that everything keeps moving in the right direction here. Oh, I've been ready for a while now. Uh, I got the itch. And, um... I think we talked to a lot of guys around the league. Everybody's kind of on that same umbrella. And uh, at the same time, we just got to make sure we're playing in a safe environment and taking the precautionary steps necessary. This is just the beginning of NHL hockey returning. If all goes according to plan, training camps would start a month from now with a 24-team playoff starting at the end of July or early August in two yet-to-be-determined hub cities. It's something the players are all on board with. Do you like the forward? I mean, a little biased because we're the 24 seed, so uh, the halves, the halves got a break, and hopefully we can uh, take advantage of that uh, that opportunity that we've been given. Uh, I think it'll be cool. I think it'll be unique. Uh, I think it'll it'll make it feel like a like a World Juniors or, or World Championships or or even a Moral Cup, uh, you know, something like that. So uh, I think it'd be pretty cool. Uh, kind of take you back to 
you know, those, those experiences that guys have had in their hockey careers. I think you talk to our team and you talk to any team around the league, everybody's goal is to make the playoffs and then win the Stanley Cup. So well, any chance you get a, an opportunity to play in the playoffs, which we have right now, I think you get excited for that. And then at the same time, you have your long-term goal in mind and uh, you understand that you're trying to make steps towards it. See, that's good to see guys out there skating again. Uh, Canadian universities have decided today, due to the pandemic, of course, that autumn sports have had their seasons cancelled. No national championships for women's field hockey, women's rugby, cross-country running, soccer and football. But at UBC, they uh, still have an outlet for the athletes who are affected by this decision. We'll be giving all our student-athletes an option to come out and train. We'll be still training on a regular basis uh, as if we're having a season, uh, just to keep sort of the competitive juices going. And our hope is that if, uh, if things change uh, later in the fall, that we'll be able to have some level of exhibition or even in the new year. There you go. All right. Be uh, encouraging for those students. Thanks very much, Squire. Here's Jay Durant now, the preview of Global News at 11 tonight. Jay. Thanks very much, Chris. We are keeping an eye on the search for that light plane that may have gone down in the Fraser River near Maple Ridge. Plus, the Park Board is voting tonight on whether to permanently restrict vehicle traffic in Stanley Park. That motion would extend a ban brought in at the start of the pandemic to reduce crowding. We'll have those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11, Chris. All right, Jay, thanks very much. And still to come for us, our salute to healthcare heroes and a man who grew up with a front row seat to institutional racism and the only way he says that will change. Say a big thank you to all of our healthcare heroes in this province working around the clock during the COVID-19 pandemic. We've received a lot of nominations. And tonight's comes from Tim and Jan Stanley. They are nominating their friends Teresa and Dwayne Anderson. Dwayne is an emergency room nurse at St. Paul's Hospital. And Teresa, his wife, is a paramedic in Vancouver. This couple is so dedicated to their profession and patient care there may be weeks when they barely see each other as they can be on different shifts. Dwayne and Teresa are the parents of four grown children and grandparents to a number of grandchildren. They've sacrificed obviously many visits with family members in recent months in order to make sure that everyone stays healthy and safe. And when they do actually have a spare moment, Tim and Jan say Dwayne and Teresa love spending time on their sailboat. Obviously pretty good. Fishers as well. Hopefully they'll have more time to do that. Dwayne and Teresa, Tim and Jan say you are both their healthcare heroes and now you are our healthcare heroes as well. We want to thank you for everything you're doing to help us through this crisis. And again, if you have a healthcare hero to nominate, send an email to bchealthcareheroes at globalnews.ca. Include a picture, a few pictures, and a story about why they're your healthcare hero. And we'll feature them here on the News Hour. We get lots of nominations, so we'll try to get to them all. All right, we'll check in with uh, Squire now. Squire, there aren't many people around here who had a front row seat to the L.A. race riots back in 1992, but you know one guy who was there and the call for change as well. Yes, uh, a couple of years ago we actually had a chance to talk with Ed Hervey, the Lions general manager, about growing up in Compton, California, what he saw there, and there was a lot of racism that he had and his people in that area had to deal with. And I wanted to know his thoughts to what he saw and what we all saw with the unfortunate and horrible death of George Floyd. Yeah, for me, it's, 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 it's uh, frustration because it's, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's here we go again. 
It's frustrating because as a child growing up in Compton, California, Ed Hervey lived through the Rodney King riot of 1992 and the toxic relationship between the L.A. police and Compton citizens. But despite that explosive awakening, racism still wasn't quashed. I can't, I can't honestly tell you to say that it has gotten better because if, we, if we're looking back 20 years and then you, you, you say that this, the same things are happening. And if you go 20 years before that, those same things were happening. So it's, it's, again, it's, uh, we're talking about a culture that needs to change. Because football brought Ed Hervey to Canada in 1999, he has a very unique perspective on racism in two countries. Have I experienced it to, to, to the levels that I experienced it in the U.S.? Not close, but to, to point and say that one country has, doesn't have a problem or one area does, does I think uh, it, it, it's beside the point. I think the, the, the massive thing is, is that do we really understand each other? Do we, or do we understand the problems that someone who doesn't look like us, do we understand what their problems are? Ed's experiences have also taught him that preconceived notions can lead to divisions between people as well. You know, you know how people say they're not uh, racist, and you know, I'll say I'm not a racist, you know, but stereotype is also falls into those categories as well. And having been witness to so many incidents of systemic racism, Ed Hervey believes democracy does provide people a weapon to weed it out. And I've, I'm off a peaceful protest, and I believe in doing what's, you know, what's right. But I, I've always believed that you can only get so much done walking the streets. You have to make a difference where it really counts is you, know, you have to, to vote. Once this is done, as far as the protest is concerned, what's next? Are, you know, are you going to you know, make your voice heard from this point and beyond and where you can really make a difference? That was something Ed said that uh, his family taught him, and he has voted ever since he was 18 years old, and he believes that is the way for people to affect change. Sounds like his family was very involved, and let's hope he's absolutely right, and there is a higher level of engagement uh, going forward. Thanks very much for that, Squire. Thanks, Ed, and thank Christy. Let's hope we get a little bit more sunshine in that forecast as we all celebrate our healthcare heroes here in just a moment. We'll see you back here tomorrow, guys.